got wheels, breaks it back. Whoa, what a run. From 10-11 now. Here's Martinez running it, bounces it outside. Martinez, touchdown, Cornhuskers. And the 10-11 studios in Lincoln, Nebraska. Fields tries to get outside. touchdown, Justin Fields. This is the End Report Podcast. Week one is in the books. Now it's on to game number two for the Huskers. It's the home opener on Saturday, Nebraska versus Wisconsin, a 2.30 kick at Memorial Stadium. Thanks for pulling up the In Report podcast. With Brett Baker and Dan Corey, I'm Kevin Suits. Over the next, oh, guys, how long are we going to talk today? 20, 30? 30 minutes-ish. Let's go 30 minutes-ish. We're going to navigate you through the weekend that was with the season opener against Ohio State. We'll look ahead to the Badgers, and we'll keep you updated on some of the most recent developments with the Nebraska football team. Guys, I could think the overwhelming question regarding the season opener was, how do you feel about it? Some people leave it encouraged because the team does look better. Some are discouraged because the final score, in fact, was 52 to 17. Well, we heard from Ben Stilley today, and basically the question was, is do you feel good leaving Ohio State? Do you feel like you saw uh, enough progress? And, and that's exactly what he went to, Kevin and Brett, was the score. And he said, if that's your idea of progress, basically you have the wrong mindset. And, and it, it's tough because I, I feel like Nebraska, um, you know, to the, to the eye of the fan and, and to, to us, they looked really good at times. But then, but then again, you look at that score, 52-17, you know, Ohio State tacked on a late touchdown. I feel like maybe Nebraska could have added one score. It, it really doesn't matter. I, I feel like I saw progress. I'm not sure if there was enough, though. But but then again, that's what happens when you open up against a, a national championship caliber team. Yeah, I side with Stilly. The score is, is what it's all about. And while, you know, there's always the debate, is it better to lose by 25 or lose by one? I think in this case, you'd definitely rather see a loss by one because I think that would indicate actual, real meaningful progress. I don't but, know but, but didn't you see with your eyes, Brett, that they did look better? Sure, but the score is the score. Bill Parcells, you are what your record says you are. Right now, they're an 0-1 team that got beat 52-17. to Yeah, and Kevin, I know you're about to go here. You opened up against Ohio State. You know, let's see if Nebraska can play like that and better and eliminate some of those mistakes. I, I just feel like we're going to learn – we're going to know so much more in three or four weeks than we do right now, of course. We're going to know a lot more in one week, Dan. I don't yeah. even think we have to go all the way into mid-November. I think Nebraska matches up a little bit better against Wisconsin. I think that it may be more of a reasonable test. Listen, we all knew that Nebraska was not going to beat Ohio State. The better question was, what did you see to convince you that the team has made progress over the extended offseason? And we talked about it on the podcast last week, guys. I mentioned, let your eyes be the judge. In my eyes, especially that first drive, I was extremely impressed. Nebraska took four plays to go 75 yards, and that's when we got to see McCaffrey and Martinez on the field at the same time. Not only was that effective, I thought it was fun. What a nice little wrinkle, and uh, I thought for the first half, outside of the final three minutes of the second quarter, it was a fun ball game to watch, and that's going beyond a Nebraska or Ohio State focus as a fan, I just think it would have been a fun game to watch because it was fairly even. And there it was, the number five team in the country getting a bit of a test from a team that, quite frankly, was sub-500 last year. 
Well, I mean, yeah, that first drive was awesome. And and that McCaffrey run is is definitely right up there with uh, my favorite plays of the year so far. And, and not that we have a lot to go off of, but just that, that first drive. And, and then a few drives after that, remember it was 14 to 14. And it, it was so pivotal those last couple minutes of the, of the first half. And, and Kevin, I think you tweeted out, you know, it's, it's 14 all, and you know, these are, these are monumental minutes and it, you hold them to a field goal, 17 to 14, you get the ball back with three minutes left. And you're thinking Nebraska has enough time to go down and either tie this game or take the lead going into halftime. And, and you just get a, a penalty and, and all of a sudden it just spirals out of control. This team and this program right now, at least against Ohio State, it just is not good enough to overcome those small mistakes, those penalties and those turnovers that we saw. And, and that's why you saw this game just kind of spiral out of control, especially uh, towards the end of the uh, second half. Yeah, that margin for error remains really thin, Dan. And to the sequence you're talking about, it's never good to get a delay of game penalty, especially on your opening play of a drive right off of a kickoff. Scott Frost took responsibility for that, which I really applaud him for to take that one on the chin, saying that was on him. But then it's what happened after that. So they got behind the chains to begin that drive. And this was about three and a half minutes left in the second quarter. And at this point in time, Nebraska is right there in the thick of the ballgame. But then you had three consecutive negative plays. And I think that's what really turned the entire game on its head. They went backwards three straight plays. They punt the ball away. And then Ohio State, boom, they hit with the touchdown. It's a 10-point game at halftime. And then we don't need to belabor the point for what happened in the second half. But if you really isolate the game into those first 27 minutes, uh, there were positive things. So I, I, I thought that the Ohio State game, showed some signs of progress. I think if you're a fan, you should be uh, fairly encouraged by what happened on the, on the field. And I thought the uh, offensive line in particular did a really nice job against a really good defensive line from Ohio state. I think you saw a lot of things, but we didn't see enough of any one thing. 16 passes completed, six of which were to Wandell Robinson, eight of which were spread among, you know, six other guys. So, or whatever the number is, but they're, eight other guys are responsible for those 10 catches. So that's what most of them are having one catch a piece. You got to be, have better distribution than that. I think, especially to, to your guys that can get stuff done. And I don't think they really got Diedrich Mills a chance to get rolling. They had some early uh, plays with him that was okay. This is the stuff. And then they kind of got away, away from it. And I think he's one of those guys that you really need to feed the beast. You got to get him the ball. I'd like to see more consistency going forward in that respect. And I think you're going to get it on, on Saturday, Brett. I, I think the coaching staff probably realizes that not, I mean, no, I, I said all last week that I think Nebraska is going to be able to run the ball on Ohio state and it did. And the, the crazy thing to me is that it really didn't involve Diedrich Mills at all. Nine carries. I, I think you could see him triple his carry count this week against uh, Wisconsin. I think that's going to lean 24, 25, 26 carries, and, and they will ride Mills in, in this um, upcoming game against Wisconsin. You're right, the wide receivers. We This is a, a position group we have to talk about, Kevin, because Omar Manning did not make the trip. We've heard about Alante Brown and, and Marcus Fleming, and they hardly saw any action. Chris Hickman didn't see the field. I, I thought that was interesting. 
And, and Scott Frost said today on Monday for with this press conference, he was asked about those wideouts. And he said that this group is the best wideout group that he's had since he's been here at Nebraska. Yet, really, we did not see that at all on Saturday because a lot of those young guys did not play, including Omar Manning. And so what is going on behind the scenes that these young guys aren't coming out and playing, and yet Scott Frost is saying that this is the uh, best wideout group he's had since he's been here. It's, it's interesting. I just feel like there's some things happening behind the scenes, and maybe those young guys need to take a couple steps mentally uh, before they see the field. Let's hope it's this week against Wisconsin because they need a downfield uh, pass threat bad. Omar Manning, not only did he not play, Dan, he didn't even travel with the team. He didn't go to Columbus. So uh, there has been smoke around that situation for a few weeks now. Um, he did tweet out a few weeks ago that um, the reports of him opting out or rumors of him opting out of the season, they were false. And he used the hashtag GBR, go big red. So uh, you're right, Dan, they, they do need a downfield threat. That's going to be a continuous storyline throughout this week. Uh, if not the next few weeks, if the Huskers cannot establish more of a vertical passing game uh, against Wisconsin. And to your point, Dan, about the quote from the press conference about this wide receiver group being as big or as good as it's been since Scott. He said, yeah, he said better. He said that it's the best. I When he said that, I go, no, because my first thought was Stanley Morgan Jr. Like he alone would, would makes it kind of a, a – in pluses and minuses scale like that group was though there wasn't much of a supporting cast around Stanley Morgan he was so good and such of a go-to guy when you needed third and eight that's why it's hard for me to equate this year's group against that group when Scott first got here so I think it's interesting if that but obviously Scott knows this group a lot better than any of us three and he has seen things on the practice field that we have not seen. So he has led to believe that this group has a pretty high ceiling. They're very talented. But the name you left out, Xavier Betts, has to play too. Um, I believe he got on the field, but a very, very limited action. Those guys are going to be really important. You can't lean just on Wandell Robinson or Cade Warner. you got to be able to stretch the field. So um, as we navigate this conversation, let's kind of send it over to Brett. And Brett, you can kind of ping pong some topics at us and uh, let's get this conversation really trending in the Wisconsin direction. I think we've talked a little bit about the good, a little bit about the bad. Let's talk about the ugly. I think without a doubt, it's the targeting calls that people are going to remember, at least from the Nebraska side on this game. And, uh, and unfortunately, two of their big time performers are going to be out for the first half against Wisconsin. I know a lot of people are screaming unfair uh, that they, they were dubious flags, but you got to put yourself in a position to succeed when you, when you lead with the head and the shoulder, which they often did. In that, I think it was more the launch, maybe than the head or the shoulder that probably got them. But that's gonna you run a risk of that happening. What was your thoughts on? on I mean, a much more physical defense, but certainly one that played up to the edge and sometimes crossed it. Well, I'll start with the Cam Taylor Britt one. The the most disappointing thing about that one was it was third and fourteen from. Uh, like five, six, 10 yard line. And, and they run right up the middle and get the first down that, that just cannot happen. That's, that has crippled this program for the last couple of years has given up those third and longs. And, and I think Cam Taylor Britt knew right away that he was in a little bit of trouble. You saw him kind of, you know, right <laughs> away. And, and I feel like that one was, uh, was the correct call. And, and, you know, Cam, uh, when he came to the bench was very upset 
Uh, he was near in tears, if not in tears on the bench. It just goes to show you how much he cares about the game. And there was probably some realization in that he let his teammates down because he won't be able to play for that first half against uh, Wisconsin. Deontay Williams, though, you know, we talked about Deontay quite a bit and he plays with an attitude. And, and there was one prior to that one where he forced a fumble um, where Nebraska recovered. And that one was viewed, uh, reviewed for targeting. It was not called targeting. Uh, but just a, a few minutes later, Deontay was ejected. And that one is a little more questionable when you look at it, um, but you leave it up to the to the officials and, and that's what they called. We can go into the debate of, of targeting and if it needs uh, uh, two different categories, um, uh, but um, you know, it's gonna be tough because that secondary was already limited. They need some young guys to really step up in this first half against Wisconsin, Kevin. I don't think I'm smart enough to know really what the targeting rule is and where it applies. And that's where I defer to guys like Joel Cladden and Mike Pereira, and the ones who study this and know it a lot better than we do. And the fact that Joel Klatt was so passionate that Deontay Williams's hit was not targeting and he is lobbying for there to be uh, kind of an amendment to the rule that if, if, if it is indeed targeting, that it maybe shouldn't cost the player uh, the next half or the next game whatever it may be, he thinks that there, there should be almost like a yellow card, red card type, type situation that, you know, if, if you get one, okay, don't kick him out of the game and make him sit out for the next game too. Um, so that was Joel Klatt's stance. He was very passionate about what he was uh, saying in terms of the rule needing to be revised. And then uh, Mike Pereira also saying, you know, by rule, Cam Taylor Britt, that is a targeting penalty. And then by rule, he has to leave the game and he's going to be out for the next half uh, of the following game. So, um, from what I saw, sure, by rule, they're both targeting calls. Should they be sitting out against Wisconsin? No. And I just think that the alternative to going to going high or toward the head and launching yourself is going low. And we saw what happened to Jack Stoll. So if you're going low, uh, maybe we're going to see a surplus in knee and ankle injuries. And I don't think that's a way to, to solve the safety of the game. So this is an ongoing situation. It will be interesting to see um, if college football, the Big Ten, NCAA does anything to try to revise the rule. Uh, but it won't come until the offseason. For right now, as Scott Frost put it, they're just going to have to deal with it. And this is where the Braxton Clark injury uh, he's out for the season, an injury that he uh, suffered during fall camp, if not the summer. He's not playing this year. It's going to really hurt Nebraska because right now they are without two starting defensive backs. And, and that room gets really thin. Braxton Clark, a young guy who got a lot of game action last year, he could have, uh, I guess, gapped the drop-off, so to say. But without him, now you're going to lean on some really young guys. Miles Farmer is going to be a name you'll hear card called quite frequently on Saturday in that first half. Well, we've talked about the good, the bad, and the ugly. Now, how about some reasons for optimism? I think for me, you did see some flashes on offense. I thought that they were creative and, and, and inventive in getting uh, McCaffrey in there. And that was, it, it did, it felt seamless. Like it was like meant to be that way. And I do think on defense, they played with a lot more physical, uh, you know, style of play that I think will suit them well. So I think that's, those are reasons for optimism. Yeah, and, and I go to the offensive line. You know, we talked about Diedrich Mills only getting nine carries. We talked about the wide receivers and how they didn't have a deep threat and they were still able to run the ball uh, on Ohio State. You had the two fumbles, but you look on those fumbles, you know, Adrian just needed to 
not kind of dance around like he did on that play and just go right up the middle probably would have been an eight, nine yard gain. McCaffrey's fumble was a seven, eight yard gain. Uh, and we seem to get that a lot with the quarterback run game. I mean, McCaffrey and Martinez attributed to a lot of those uh, rushing yards, but I, w- I was really impressed with the offensive line. We were watching Bryce Benhart make his first start at right tackle. He's a redshirt freshman, looked pretty good, as did Ethan Piper uh, sharing some time with Bo Wilson. So, um, yeah, I, I was encouraged because – as we talked about in in the Big Ten, you got to be good in the trenches. And I thought the defensive line looked well, uh, pretty well too, um, against the Ohio State run. Ty Robinson looked good. Uh, so did Keem Green. So Casey Rogers as well. So I was encouraged uh, with the trenches, and I, I think it's going to be kind of a brawl on Saturday against against Wisconsin. You know, I'm not going to shout out any players. I think Dan just listed. Uh all the appropriate names and several of them. I'm just going to say the overall attitude of the team. And I I think we can all see why Scott Frost has always loved Deontay Williams and why when he went down with an injury last year, uh, that was a big blow to the team because Deontay Williams kind of embodies that no fear of failure. He loves to fly around. I mean, Dan, as you mentioned, yes, he had the targeting penalty, but prior to that earlier in the game, he had another bone crunching hit. That's how he plays. And I think that's why Scott likes him because he's not afraid to make a mistake. He loves to stick his neck in there and try to blow a guy up and he's going to be a ball hawk. And I think Cam Taylor bread is kind of the same way. And I just think from a defensive standpoint, we saw more guys like that just Wanted to go make plays. Will Honus had two sacks. This is a guy that's been slow with an ACL injury in the past, but yet he's out there on blitzes, uh, putting pressure on uh, Justin Fields, a Heisman Trophy contender at quarterback. Uh, I think the defense overall, beyond the starting group too, that they kind of had more of that swagger. Maybe I should use that word a little more cautiously, but they just have more of that personality that they're going to fly around. If you go over the middle, they're going to let you know they're there. And they're going to try to create turnovers. So Ohio State's a, a really difficult team to try to get a takeaway from. But I felt like they were trying. And, and I think that's a step forward. That's that's my reason for optimism, guys. I think that the defense, though they gave up 52 points, I felt like the defense just had a different mentality while on the field. Yeah, and and Kevin, to, to your point, you know, you're going up against Ohio State. Justin Fields only missed one pass all day. He's going to be in New York for the Heisman Trophy ceremony. His wide receivers, he has two first rounders and maybe three eventually. I mean, they're going up against NFL wide receivers. So, um, you know, I, I thought the front seven played really well. The secondary, which we were pretty confident about, maybe that's an area that, that did struggle. But we're going to learn so much more about this team, Kevin, as you said, uh, on Saturday night about 6 o'clock, 6.30, on, as to what uh, is, is more capable and realistic because – are you going to play more teams like Wisconsin in the Big Ten or more teams like Ohio State? And the answer, especially when you're in the Big Ten West, is like Wisconsin. So uh, very, very excited for this upcoming game. Well, speaking of Wisconsin, in our last 10 minutes or so here, let's move on to them. Uh, I think I wrote it down and hold on to your butts. Here comes Wisconsin. 
who certainly looked very impressive uh, Friday night. I got out, I was out in Wahoo watching Malcolm and Wahoo play. And I looked at my phone and I saw the, the line for the quarterback. It said 14-14. And I thought that was the score. And then, no, that was just his passing stats for a redshirt freshman quarterback. And then he he also, like Justin Fields, the next day, he went 20 for 21, except he had five touchdown passes. He may not be in the mix pending another COVID test. What, do, what are we going to see on, on Saturday from the Badgers, do you think? Now, while Wisconsin still goes by the blueprint that they're going to line it up, buckle up the chin straps, and run north and south, this team's a little bit different when they have Graham Mertz at quarterback. I watched the game on Friday night, and they'll sling it around. So don't think of them as the Ron Dane traditional Wisconsin between the tackles kind of team. This is 2020. They've adapted the offense. They've spread it, spread it out. They have an extremely talented tight end, which could be a bit of a matchup issue for Nebraska. I don't know who they're going to put on uh, their tight end, if it's JoJo Doman or uh, Colin Miller. No matter who's on him in the Big Ten, he's, he's going to be – Uh, in the advantage most of the time. So Wisconsin, they're going to run it. They probably aren't going to run it 50 times a game. They're going to throw it and they'll throw it effectively, especially if Graham Mertz can play. And, you know, Brett, you even texted me there during that game on Friday, like what's happening. And what was happening was they just completely shredded Illinois secondary. Part of that is Illinois secondary is not very good. And part of that is a red shirt freshman made the most of his opportunity. And you can tell he's got great rapport with his wide receivers. And I think that spells danger for Nebraska, especially knowing Williams and Cam Taylor Britt will not be in the game in the first half. Well, if Grant Mertz does not play, uh, I think the game is obviously different. It's not that Nebraska is going to look at it that way. But remember, Jack Cohn started most of the last year, and, and he was projected to be the starter this year for the Badgers. He's out. So Graham Mertz was basically second string or 1A and B. So it's the equivalent of if Nebraska was out without Martinez and McCaffrey. Um, so if Mertz does not play – Nebraska is basically out of excuses, um, and this this needs to be the time if he does not play. I'm, uh, it, it just it, it feels like it's due, and it, it needs to happen. But, Dan, and, they're the ninth-ranked team in the country. Let, don't, let's not say it needs to happen. I mean, this is still a really good team, and, you know, yes, you, you'll want to be – They, they don't have Jonathan Taylor either. I, but I, they're still ranked number nine in the country. You know, this, this is – uh, 2020, I know it's not the 2019 team, but based on this year's crop of teams in college football, you know, they're a really good team. And so while they don't have a Jonathan Taylor, Wisconsin's recruited so well recently, you know, especially here's the proof. They're on their backup quarterback who just went 20 of 21. That's the second stringer. This is a pretty deep and talented team. Um, I understand it, Dan. Husker fans finally want to beat this team. It's been since 2012. And in between then and now, the scores have been really lopsided. Let's not kid ourselves. It's gotten away from Nebraska. And what was supposed to be a very competitive series in the Big Ten West, dating all the way back to when Nebraska joined the conference, everybody's thinking, oh, Nebraska, oh, Wisconsin, similar styles, blue-collar football. What are they saying about the series now? It's leaned all Wisconsin's way. And so for Nebraska to close that gap, I think that Nebraska is, is a pretty big step behind where Wisconsin is right now. Not saying they can't beat them on Saturday, but this is the ninth-ranked team in the country with an electrifying young quarterback. 
I joked to uh, one of the local scribes that if Mertz can't go, they'll probably put in a true freshman who will throw for 250, run for 150, and put in some volunteer hours at the People City Mission because <laughs> that's just kind of the way it always seems to go. Uh, so I don't know who we're going to see, but I do know that, yeah, their odds are probably improved if Mr. Mertz does not go. Caleb Wolf, by the way, Brett, if you need to do a little research on the Wisconsin roster, he is the third string quarterback. He, he attempted a pass last year in mop-up time, did not play on Friday. Kevin, you asked Scott Frost about playing Wisconsin, and, you know, his first statement was it's game two. And then he kind of let up a little bit, and you get the sense that within the program, I feel like, from what they're telling us anyways – is that their time is due and, and the fan base feels that way too. And whether that's realistic or not, that's the way the feeling is. And eventually you have to start beating some of these teams in the big 10 West. Um, and, you know, maybe it's not fair, uh, but you know, the, how I'm going to judge this season, I've said this all the way along is, is how Nebraska looks against Wisconsin, Minnesota and Iowa. And if you want to see real progress, I think taking two or three from those three games uh, would be a start. You don't I, you don't buy that, Kevin. In our well, hold on. In our last five minutes here, let, let's. Talk I mean, about you haven't you I, haven't beat Wisconsin or Iowa in in, in five years. What you're zero and ten? I mean, at, at what point is that going to change? Dan, you're talking about taking two of three from those teams. I understand that that's the barometer, but Nebraska was sub five hundred last year. So I think that you need to see a little more gradual progress. That's a huge step if they were to take two of three. So I understand that that would be a dream. That would be great. But I don't know how reasonable that really is at this point in time. Well, I would just lost to Purdue. So that's so Purdue's a really say. good team. Yeah, And Purdue's also beaten them the last two straight years in a row. So it's really four. That's true. That's true. So, I mean, let's this, in our last five minutes, the last topic I had is – is it weird that Nebraska fans are so patient with Frost's nine and sixteen start? Well, this this is a perfect lead into that question. You know, we're I, okay. So remember, at the end of last year, I felt like the patience was running thin, and and then all these distractions with COVID came. Whether we're going to play the spring practice uh, uh, getting canceled, fall camp getting pushed back, the season getting pushed back, uh, a lot of that has deflected. Um, some questions that Nebraska fans had uh, at the end of last season. And, and those rumblings, if Nebraska struggles on Saturday and maybe into the Northwestern game, et cetera, that those rumblings are, are uh, really going to start to get loud again. Northwestern looked good too. And, and by those rumblings, I want to be clear. It's not the, you know, we need to get rid of frost or he's on the hot seat, but remember there was some, uh, thin uh, patience at the end of, of last year. Dan, come on, Dan. What? I just no, made sir. it clear that I'm not talking about him being, you know, let go or on the hot seat at but all. Dan, I understand that's ridiculous, but fans want to see progress. I know, but you can't really expect to see the progress given the schedule that Nebraska has. You know, I, I know you're so focused on this game and fixated on this game and how Nebraska stacks up against Wisconsin. They're playing the Big Ten favorite and then the reigning Big Ten West champion in back-to-back -back weeks. The patience running thin with Scott Frost, I don't think kicks in until mid-November. Let's say that they lose four of their first five. Yeah, let's have this conversation. 
after week two? I'm, no. not, I'm not saying that it's going to happen next week. You know, maybe they fall to Wisconsin, turn around, beat Northwestern, beat Penn State. They're two and two. And, and that's what, you know, I said, we're going to know a lot more in four or five weeks. And as you said, we're going to know more at the end at about six o'clock on Saturday. And I agree. Both of those statements are true. You know, but I if, do Nebraska, feel like- if, if Nebraska falls by a field goal, that's going to be crushing. But if they look good and the eye test, you know, Nebraska fans are smart. They know good football. If the eye test says, yeah, they just went boom for boom with Wisconsin, turn around, beat Northwestern, beat Penn State, you're two and two. Okay, now we're cooking. But, but like you said, if, if you're one and four um, through the first five games, I, it's, it's not going to be good around here. I don't think the patient starts wearing thin on Scott Frost, given the record that you just said, Brett until later in the season. I think that the expectation was Nebraska over the first four games probably loses three. They may even lose four because Northwestern just played really, really good in week number one. I think that if things start to sour a little bit for the Huskers at the start of the 2020 season, then that patience starts to get thinned out a little bit, Brett, to answer your question but it probably doesn't happen until mid to late November. And perhaps it goes the complete other direction. Maybe Nebraska steals one. Maybe Nebraska gets some momentum early in the season. And then we can all breathe a little bit easier. And then people in the high V aisles are probably smiling a little bit more than they are right now. You know, you look at what Indiana was able to do and they were dominated pretty much at every facet of the game, but they also took advantage of their opportunity and, and they hung around, they hung around. And when that window was open, when that, that young man unfortunately scored a touchdown when he should have just taken a knee at the one, Nebraska hasn't had that moment yet. And I haven't seen the, uh, the window for that moment yet. I think that's probably the most frustrating thing is to see other programs that have been in the same spot taking steps past us. I will say it's going to be weird. Just because the, the stands are going to be empty, we're going to drive up to Memorial Stadium. There's not going to be vendors everywhere. The grills won't be on. You won't have the smell of hamburgers and hot dogs. Uh, it won't be near as red. Uh, it, it's just going to be strange. And I talked to some of the folks that cover Ohio State uh, on Saturday after the game, and they were just talking about how, how just bizarre of an experience it was. It was almost like you were showing up to cover a practice this was not a practice. This was two teams that were trying to uh, win a college football game in the Big Ten. And one of the teams, by the way, is trying to make its case to enter the college football playoff. But the whole vibe around it, some of the some of the things that make college football special and kind of make the atmosphere something that people crave all through the fall, it's gone. But at long last, that's not a complaint. At long last, there is football in 2020. So um, I think we just have to counter blessings and understand that uh, Saturday, it's the home opener for the Huskers, but it's going to feel a little bit different. Nebraska fans don't view this as an exhibition season or a throwaway season. <laughs> I mean, if, if you listen to some of those call-in shows or, or listen to us and the passion that we speak with when discussing these games, um, this really has a chance to catapult the program uh, into 2021 if things go right. So uh, I saw progress on Saturday. I'd like to see Nebraska clean up some of those mistakes. So would the coaching staff and the players penalties and turnovers. And if they do that, they have a real shot to win. So that's the stage for week number two, Nebraska-Wisconsin on Saturday. It's a 2.30 kick at Memorial Stadium, the home opener for the Huskers. It will be televised on FSY. Tune in to 10-11 for all your coverage leading up to kickoff on Saturday. 
For Brett Baker and Dan Corey, I'm Kevin Suits. Thanks for listening to the End Report Podcast. You've been listening to the End Report Podcast from 1011 Now. Subscribe and leave a ratings on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you download your podcast. For more Husker coverage throughout the week, watch 1011 Now Sports and download the 1011 Now app. This is an alert from your Stay up to date during severe weather season with push notifications from the 1011 Now Weather App. Download the 1011 Now Weather App for free today.